the Gospel according to Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Now, maybe you know me and know that I share a commitment, uh, a trust that the the Gospels um, are radically relevant to the world that we live in today, that all of Scripture um, has has a powerful word to speak into the circumstances that we're living through. And this week is no different. When Jesus says, remember, I'm with you to the end of the age, can we muster up some trust that even in the midst of this time of pandemic and unrest and injustice, that somehow through this gospel, through the readings that we heard today, that Christ is present with us, Uh, illuminating our hearts, illuminating the world, showing the way um, forward that Jesus would have us go. And so when I read this gospel reading for the first time, uh, it was the word authority that really struck me. Maybe, you know, if you want to, you can go back and watch that Bible study. Maybe you already did watch that Bible study. I kind of unpacked that word even more. Part of what struck me is, in a sense, the absurdity of what's happening here. You know, the kind of, the kind of scene that you might expect um, someone to be saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, is not this, is not a one, one person on the margin of society talking to 11 other people on the margins of society, and for some of those folks he's talking to to be doubting what he's saying, that doesn't sound like great authority. It doesn't sound like all the authority in heaven and on earth. And so maybe this authority is is different than we might expect. That's where I got thinking and wondering. And I certainly recognize that in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and all the Gospels, but maybe especially Matthew, Jesus' authority is a theme. When he first teaches, uh, people, the crowd is amazed. Uh, They say they're amazed because Jesus taught them as one having authority and not not like one of their scribes. So already there's this uh, thing in Matthew of true authority versus false authority, or real authority versus no authority. And, you know, what leads to Jesus' death is in Matthew 21, when he parades into Jerusalem like only a victorious emperor would parade into Jerusalem. Another 
kind of ridiculous and absurd scene. But that parade, what we call Palm Sunday, goes straight to the temple. And Jesus turns over tables and throws out the money changers and drives out all the animals that were for sale. He occupies the temple. He interrupts what was happening there. And so the people who had some kind of authority there, they challenge Jesus and say, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? I mean, the authorities that we live under is authority that's backed up by force of arms. I think the, the authority of the state, the authority of the government, there are police, there are armies, there are people with weapons who ultimately will ensure our obedience to the commandments, the laws. But that's not the kind of authority that Jesus exercised in the, in the crucifixion in his life. And so we can go even back to the temptations, I think, to see most clearly what this kind of authority is all about. And I'm promising you, this is all going to come back to the world that we're living in right now. Three temptations. First, bread. Turn these rocks into bread. Second, Here's all the nations of the world in their splendor. Just worship me. Third one, top of the temple. Throw yourself down from here because the scriptures say God's going to protect you. Jesus says no to all three of those temptations. And the one in the middle, I think, is the most meaningful for the moment. All the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, some people say, some scholars say, that's armies. The devil is saying, hey, you can be emperor of the world. You can have all the armies in the world. You can force everyone to do exactly what you want them to do. And Jesus says, no. I mean, there were shootings in Davenport this week. Um, at least three that I know of. There was a police officer wounded. There was a young black woman shot. She was leaving a... Um, shot and killed. She was leaving a, a peaceful protest and uh, left when it started to get rowdy and a stray bullet um, struck her and killed her. And then there was a shooting just yesterday. Um, I don't even know all the details, uh, but uh, somebody was just firing off rounds into the air near the school where my daughter goes to school. And uh, one of those bullets um, struck someone. Uh, they were not killed, thankfully. But I think we can see in our world that anybody who wants a shortcut to quote-unquote authority, all they got to do is pick up a gun. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what uh, gang life might offer someone, a sense of power, a sense of authority that's about wielding a weapon and doing violence. There is a, um, even a sense in the world that violence is what makes you a man. And that what authority is, is, is the ability to force someone to do what you want them to do. But that's the kind of authority that Jesus laid aside. Both the authority of, of, of armies and the authority of a, of a man with a gun. In Jesus' time, it wasn't guns, it was swords. 
that were the weapons, the tools, the symbols of authority. And specifically, also, crosses. The cross. You know, there were lots of Jews and other kinds of people all over the Roman Empire who were killed on a cross. It was well known what a cross meant. Somebody's kind of violated the authority of Rome or trying to undermine the authority of Rome. And so they're killed on a cross instead of some other way. And there's this moment in the Gospel of Matthew, all the other Gospels, when the people have a choice. Jesus had a choice in the wilderness, his temptation. Now the people have a choice. Either it's Jesus or this other man named Barabbas. A name, Barabbas, that means literally son of God. And what the other Gospels tell us about Barabbas is that he was a revolutionary. This is, this is what the Gospel of Matthew says about him. That um, there was a man named Barabbas in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. He wasn't just a criminal. Uh, he wasn't a petty thief. Um, he was a guerrilla fighter. And so when the people are given a choice, they choose the guerrilla fighter, the one who has chosen weapons um, to oppose the, the authority that's using weapons and crosses. And so you've got this conflict of, of a violent Roman Empire opposed by a violent insurrection. And Jesus is caught in the middle. Because there are people who choose either the violence of Rome or they choose the violence of the revolution, of that insurrection. They don't have any time for Jesus. Jesus is killed with the symbol of Roman authority of the cross. Throughout the Gospels, people are trying to get Jesus to make a claim about whether he's for the empire or against it. But Jesus never comes right out and says. But he does make a pretty strong claim that he's for love and against violence. He's for trusting God and against trusting himself, his own powers. He's for trusting God's authority and not for human authority. I mean, I've become convinced that what Jesus shows us is that nonviolence is a necessary condition for love. That there is no way in which violence does love. That love and violence are things that cannot mix. I was just talking with uh, Kristen this week. She said she saw a picture of, you know, how an image of what God must be thinking uh, as God... uh, uh, experiences what's happening in our world today. It was a picture of, you know, looking down sort of from space, I guess, and and God sort of pulling out God's hair and just so angry. But I don't think that's the kind of God that we see in the Gospels. There's, sure, sometimes Jesus is exasperated. But Jesus refuses to get angry, even while he's being crucified. Jesus refuses to return violence with violence. I 
I think that temptation to violence always comes right back to the Jesus's temptations in the wilderness. That um, there has to be an accepting of our hungers, an accepting of our vulnerabilities, an accepting of our limits. The very first temptation, Jesus refuses to pick up a rock and make it into bread or pick up a rock and turn it into a weapon. Jesus accepts his hunger. And that's something that's really hard to do. To just accept that the feelings of pain that I'm feeling, the feelings of uncertainty that I'm feeling, the, the, the rawness, that that's just what it means to be a creature, a human. And not just to accept that as our dismal fate, but to trust that it's in God alone that those that pain will be comforted, that that the hunger will be satisfied. It's not by bread alone. Just getting bread doesn't satisfy all of our hungers. Neither does forcing people. That hunger to have some kind of power in our lives is not met through violence. Jesus doesn't fight fire with fire. God doesn't fight fire with fire. We ought not do the same. You know, from the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, from Ferguson and the death of Michael Brown, that phrase, Black Lives Matter, has always meant Black Lives Matter too. Black Lives Matter also. And, you know, I can't see that video um, of, of what happened to George Floyd without knowing that that police officer, that George Floyd's life did not matter to that police officer. And how different that scene would have played out if any of those officers if that his life would have mattered to any of those officers. Enough to stand up to their partner, enough to just stand up and take the knee off of his neck while people from the sidelines were crying out, you're killing him. It makes me wonder what kind of a hole in that police officer's life he's trying to fill with violence. I don't know, but I pray that this, the process of, of justice, that it will result in some kind of repentance for him. And more than that, I see that the problem that we have with policing and police brutality is a lot like the problem that the church has had with abusive priests. You know, this is my own profession and leads to, you know, a feedback on my own reputation as a leader. And I very much welcome the kind of uh, new awareness and new policies, new trainings that have come about. Because the problem was never there were a few bad priests. The problem was always 
the priests covering up for priests, the the bishops covering up for pastors, the the congregations who weren't willing to face the truth, the way that somebody who was abusive was allowed to continue abusing with no consequences and no um, accountability. I think good cops everywhere will welcome new use of force policies, new um, requirements to de-escalate instead of escalate. Um, I, I believe that in my bones. That's what I pray for, is that as a nation, we can have a kind of a turning and repentance and a, and a sense that violence is not the answer. I mean, again, I was talking with Kristen this week, and she was, you know, her husband was a police officer. He's in the military. He's a police officer. He worked in the prison, um, recently retired. You know, she she said, you know, the guys in the prison were always playing mind games with the, they were just trying to get under the skin of the guards, just constantly antagonizing. And I was talking with a friend in Chicago, um, and she was talking about how the police were just trying to get under the skin of the peaceful protesters, you know, just trying to intimidate, driving their cars real fast and all kinds of other stuff. I shared that with Kristen, and she nodded her head and said, yeah, that happens too. You know, there's this sense of, of the only way to be safe is to intimidate all the time. And that can come from a lot of different kinds of people. But it's all the more dangerous when it's from people who are sanctioned to use violence. You know, in my own life, I've learned a lot um, about the violence within myself. You know, I experienced violence as a child. And um, and as I grew up, my biggest fear was that that violence would live in me um, and that that violence would come out of me. And I can remember... <laughs> Susanna was just a, just a baby. She was newborn. And boy, those newborn days are tough. You know, up in the middle of the night and feeding and crying. And one night I remember she was just crying and crying. And I was consoling her and consoling her and trying to, to bounce her and just becoming more and more frustrated and um, more and more angry and um, I remember I was bouncing her and I just was so angry that I started bouncing her kind of violently, I have to say. And I remember the... <laughs> I remember the sound when her cry went from the inconsolable cry to the I'm afraid cry because I bounced her too hard. I think we've all got to face the fact that the capacity for violence lives in every single one of us. 
and that we may not pick up weapons, but we will use words. We will use whatever things we can use to control around us. We can use politics. We can use religion. There's lots of ways to be violent. And we all have to wrestle with the, that, that demon which ultimately Christ is our way forward. It's ultimately in recognizing the vulnerability of ourselves, accepting our own hungers, my need for sleep, um, you know, but the way forward is love. And when we celebrate Trinity Sunday, what we're celebrating is a, is a God of love, is a God who is a relationship within God's self. And that what God does is widen the circle, is make the circle bigger so there is room in that loving relationship for people like us, people who um, choose violence instead of love. <clears throat> Boy. So... So I don't always know what to say, but I do know that the mission of Jesus is a mission of empowering people with love and that being drawn into that community of love that is God, that, that's what it means to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. It means drawing people into relationships of love. Is that being immersed in relationships of love is the only way, that's the only way for that temptation to violence to melt away, for that need to control to melt away. The only way for us to notice the wounds that are at the center of our hearts and to recognize that love is already working to heal them. And it's in empowering people, you know, in, in uniting people who were on the margin, literally on the margin in Galilee. That's how everybody thought about Galilee. Bringing the margin to the center in Jerusalem and holding the leaders there, both the political leaders and the religious leaders, accountable to the suffering on the margin, the suffering that they were helping to cause. That's what Jesus does. It's, it's a way of asserting that our lives matter. Our lives here in Galilee matter. No matter what kind of political burdens or religious burdens you put on our backs, the way that those are crushing our lives, our lives still matter. And yet Jesus led that movement in a way that also said our enemies' lives matter too. There's a holding of attention that most of us find really hard to do. <clears throat> to hold on to the fact that we and our lives and our dignity and our needs matter and that the people who may be for the moment or seem to be the obstacles in that or the cause of the pain or suffering, that their life matters too. I mean, it's that kind of love, love for self and love for other, 
working at the same time with the same intensity, that's what produces a life that can be empowered and love the other at the same time, that wants empowerment for the other at the same time, even for the enemy. You know, that's, that's what I see at work in the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement. And I, and I hope and pray that that movement stays. Um, I see myself as part of that movement, to be honest. I see the work that the Hope in Action team has, is doing in, in a park that's called the Dark Park, and not because it's, uh, it's not well lit at night, but because of the neighborhood that it's in. I see that work as work that says, says that Black Lives Matter too. The, the, the lives of the people who use that park matter. Then that neighborhood matters. Investing in that black neighborhood matters. And of course, that's not an exclusive thing because everyone can use a bathroom. Anyway, maybe I don't have a great way to sum up all of this. But just for you to trust how deeply patient and loving God is with you and how urgently sometimes and patiently others and gently sometimes and firmly others, God is working often through other people and through reality itself, life itself, to keep drawing us deeper into a life of love where we are able to absorb and be immersed in the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for this whole world. It's my prayer for you and everywhere. Amen. Thanks be to God.